Hello, and welcome to the For We Are Many podcast, and Bread Theory. <laughs> Hello. I don't know. I didn't know what to call it. <laughs> That's totally fine. Oh, well, how's everybody doing today? I mean, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, there's a nice day out here in Minnesota today. I was I was out shoveling wood chips for my job. Oh, there's there's Trish. She finally showed up. Hi. <laughs> Just in time. Just in time. But you yeah, missed really? the epic my intro. Right on. Yeah, my interwebs finally decided to connect. So hey. <laughs> hey. Loop <laughs> back in from the ether. <laughs> Nice. Hooray. So, how are y'all doing? Good to see you, Zach. Look, you too, Good Rob, to see you I too, Trish. How are you doing? All right. Better. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah. Worst problem I've had today is just that internet signal not wanting to carry me in here. Yeah, man. But... Yeah, which is funny because we just pre-recorded tomorrow's stream and it worked just fine. <laughs> Isn't that so weird? Uh-huh. Sitting here like motherfucking my hotspot. Like, what? What? What's your malfunction? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, for those watching from our channels anyway, we missed last week's. Um, so if you want to catch up, you're going to have to go to Zach's channel. Yep. Yeah, and you, you can find uh, <clears throat> excuse me the various places that I stream that on linktr dot ee slash bread underscore theory. That's linktr dot ee slash bread underscore theory. Take you to my YouTube, my Twitch, and my Facebook, and now I'm on Twitter as well. Somehow, I, I still don't quite know how the Twitter live stream works, but uh, apparently that's a thing now. Right. Yeah. Uh, before that, they had an option uh, to to live stream indirectly to Twitter. It was called Periscope. Yeah, yeah but they um, shut that down. Yeah. Yep, they shut that down, and now we are also on Twitter. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and the Left Signal Boost Facebook. Left Signal Boost. Awesome. All right, well, um, we will be in the paper book. We will be on page 133, in section 4 of chapter... What chapter is that? 5. Uh, yeah, it's a chapter 5. So I got a little ways into chapter 5 last time. Alright. I think we probably... I mean, if we went real fast tonight, we'd get to the end. We only got like 20 pages left. But uh, If we go real fast. If we go real fast, but you know, if we want to take our time. Probably just a couple more episodes. Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with either way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, me too. I'm definitely enjoying this. I'm just trying to find... There's the PDF. Okay. <laughs> I had to search for a minute. Like, where did State and Revolution go? <laughs> Indeed. Um, I as you don't all... know what page that's going to be in here. As you all already know, uh, we are using the audiobook from Socialism for All on YouTube. Mm. 
throw them a sub. I just did. I don't know how I haven't before now, actually. We've been using this video for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a great channel. Like He's got a real clear voice, and I yeah. like his little annotations that he throws in once in a while. Yeah. Right. Zach, did you say we are at Chapter 5? We're on Chapter 5. We're going to start the section entitled The First Phase of Communist Society. So for me, that's on page 75. I, I have uh, this oh, version of it. So. Oh, it's section three? I thought it was section four. Either um, way. That's where so I had bookmarks, so I'm pretty sure that's where I ended up. Okay. Sounds good to me. My bad. <laughs> no, no problem. I'm almost In the there. critique of the Gotha program. What was that? It was oh, section just three. Mumbling. I, I was saying I'm almost there. And right as it started talking that paragraph pulled <laughs> up, so I'm there. Oh. <laughs> nice. Sweet. Marx goes into detail to disprove LaSalle's idea that under socialism, the worker will receive the, quote, undiminished or, quote, full product of his labor. Marx shows that from the whole of the social labor of society, there must be deducted a reserve fund, a fund for the expansion of production, a fund for the replacement of the, quote, wear and tear of machinery and so on. Then from the means of consumption must be deducted a fund for administrative expenses, for schools, hospitals, old people's homes, and so on. Instead of LaSalle's hazy, obscure, general phrase, the full product of his labor to the worker, Marx makes a sober estimate of exactly how socialist society will have to manage its affairs. Marx proceeds to make a concrete analysis of the conditions of a life of a society in which there will be no capitalism and says, quote, What we have to deal with here in analyzing the program of the Workers' Party is a communist society, not as it has developed on its own foundations, but on the contrary, just as it emerges from capitalist society, which is thus in every respect, economically, morally, and intellectually, still stamped with the birthmarks of the old society from whose womb it comes." Unquote. It is this communist society which has just emerged into the light of day out of the womb of capitalism and which is in every respect stamped with the birthmarks of the old society that Marx terms the quote first or lower phase of communist society. The means of production are no longer the private property of individuals. The means of production belong to the whole of society. Every member of society, performing a certain part of the socially necessary work, receives a certificate from society to the effect that he has done a certain amount of work. And with this certificate, he receives from the public store of consumer goods a corresponding quantity of products. After a deduction is made of the amount of labor which goes to the public fund, Every worker, therefore, receives from society as much as he has given to it. Equality apparently reigns supreme. But when LaSalle, having in view such a social order, usually called socialism but termed by Marx the first phase of communism, says that this is, quote, equitable distribution, that this is, quote, the equal right of all to an equal product of labor, LaSalle is mistaken, and Marx exposes the mistake. Quote, hence the equal right, says Marx, in this case still certainly conforms to bourgeois law, 
which, like all law, implies inequality. All law is an application of an equal measure to different people, who are in fact not alike, are not equal to one another. That is why the, quote, equal right is a violation of equality and an injustice. In fact, everyone, having performed as much social labor as another, receives an equal share of the social product after the above-mentioned deductions. But people are not alike. One is strong, another is weak. One is married, another is not. One has more children, another has less, and so on. And the conclusion Marx draws is, quote, with an equal performance of labor, and hence an equal share in the social consumption fund, one will in fact receive more than another, one will be richer than another, and so on. To avoid all these defects, the right instead of being equal would have to be unequal, unquote. Can we pause that The first phase yeah. of communism there. I'd just like to point out that that sounds kind of ableist as fuck. The, the way that um, LaSalle was conceiving of it? Well, I mean, kind of both. Even even that uh, statement of um, all laws and application of an equal measure to different people who, in fact, are not alike and are not equal to one another. And I get that he's stating that in the framework of what they're able to do to society, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make anybody letter if they're unable to. Yeah, they, I, t- I totally agree with that. It, it's one of those things that, okay, like, even in that statement of LaSalle that provided for, you know, old folks' homes and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Well, what about, what about the disabled? <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, we completely got left out of that equation. Just saying, yeah. as somebody who is disabled and unable to produce the same amount of quote-unquote value to contribute to society as I used to be able to, that shouldn't hinder me from having enough to live comfortably and with dignity. Absolutely. Or anybody else who's disabled. Yeah, and and what about uh, a parent who chooses not to work and instead uh, raise children? Um, they're not, you know, they're not going to work, so you, you couldn't really say that they were having a, a contribution to society in that way. But but in in very real ways, they do contribute. So you have to account for them as well. Raising a family is labor. They're raising the next absolutely. Person. Yes, and it is unpaid labor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tons of stuff. And, and, you know, some people want to work more. Some people don't want to work as much. And, then, and those people should also be equally valuable members of society. So, yeah, I, I can see your problem with uh, using that word unequal people there. I, I think what he, and he probably should have fleshed it out a little more, because I think what he's driving at is not everyone's circumstances are the same. Um, and not everyone yes. chooses to or is able to do the same things. Everyone has their different skill levels in, in whatever area. Uh, and, and then so to make things just like you get this much, you get this much, uh, it's uh, kind of a, a, a equality but not equity. Yes. Exactly. You know, 
Yeah, where he stated that of like, you know, this person might have one kid, that person more, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you have more kids, you're obviously going to need more resources to be able to feed and clothe and shelter those children. Mm-hmm. That's a given. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, hi, Natalie. I just saw the comments popping up. Hi, Emily. <laughs> hi, Natalie, Emily, John. Yeah, I think John makes a good point uh, there, that, that that famous phrase, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs, yeah. Basing your economy on needs rather than some arbitrary idea of, you know, trying to value one sort of labor over another. Do you do it in time? Do you do it in effort? And, like, p- two people are going to do the job in different ways at different rates and, you know, all of those ways that, that are not really, you know, a good way of, of uh, taking account of... of what people are actually contributing or not right and like even say applying that to housing okay well if you already own a home then you're not going to need to be say provided with another home or something right but if you don't have a home you're going to need to be provided with a home gonna need a home for sure absolutely true which we could so easily do seeing how we have more empty houses than we do homeless people yeah, well, I know, especially in the major cities where, where all those uh, millionaires and billionaire land speculators like to buy up tons of real estate and then just sit on it till they get a better price for it. That stuff could be going to real use. I mean, we, at the very least, we got to decommodify housing and other basic human rights because it's just ridiculous that people have to struggle and struggle just to survive. Uh, everyone should get a basic level to stand on. Otherwise, how can you ever even claim that there's equal opportunity in, in anything that you do? You right. can't really, really if you have so many things holding you back. Yeah. Absolutely. You're on point. And yes, Natalie, he should have elaborated more. That's okay. We're here to elaborate for him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like we're the first either. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, communist theory since Lenin. Absolutely. That's another part of bringing it into current day view. There's a greater understanding, a much greater understanding today when it comes to meeting those needs of those who are unable to contribute labor um, Mm -hmm. than there was at that point in time. Well, yeah, I mean, at, at the time that this book was written, there had never been a successful proletarian revolution. Right. That's fair to say. Yeah, just, yeah. People need to be reminded constantly that that, uh, the American Revolution was a a bourgeois revolution, you know, first and foremost. They may have used uh, the the lower classes to fight their, their battles for them, but it was all in the name of capitalism and private property. Absolutely. Uh, John said the capitalist system is slavery. It it is. It is kind of like that Rick and Marty. It's like slavery with extra steps. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It is. Fuck. (laughs) Yeah. It just exists. Uh huh. (laughs) Like, why can't we just be and vibe and? 
No, we have to yeah, no, yeah, there we go. Money. <laughs> Fuck. Money. Mm. All right, you guys ready? Yes. Yeah. John said we have to Therefore, avoid creating can... another forced labor relationship, too. Sorry, I just wanted to point that out real quick before. Yeah, for sure. We have to play, because, yes, very valid point. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yep. Cannot yet provide justice and equality. Differences and unjust differences in wealth will still persist, but the exploitation of man by man will have become impossible because it will be impossible to seize the means of production, the factories, machines, land, etc., and make them private property. In smashing LaSalle's petty bourgeois vague phrases about equality and justice in general, Marx shows the course of development of communist society, which is compelled to abolish at first only the injustice of the means of production seized by individuals, and which is unable at once to eliminate the other injustice, which consists in the distribution of consumer goods, quote, according to the amount of labor performed and not according to needs. The vulgar economists, including the bourgeois professors and, quote, our Tugan, constantly reproached the socialists with forgetting the inequality of people and with, quote, dreaming of eliminating this inequality. Such a reproach, as we see, only proves the extreme ignorance of the bourgeois ideologists. Quick comment, I remember in high school being given the science fiction story Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut and being told that it was a refutation of exactly what Lenin is talking about here. I thought at the time, even then, this was before I encountered any marks that it was kind of like a heavy-handed and absurd criticism of socialist efforts to like make people perfectly biologically equal, which, I mean, even at that time, I was like, I don't think they really do that, do they? Anyway, let's continue. Marx not only most scrupulously takes account of the inevitable inequality of men, but he also takes into account the fact that the mere conversion of the means of production into the common property of the whole society commonly called socialism, does not remove the defects of distribution and the inequality of, quote, bourgeois laws, which continues to prevail so long as products are divided, quote, according to the amount of labor performed. Continuing, Marx says, quote, but these defects are inevitable in the first phase of communist society, as it is when it has just emerged, after prolonged birth pangs from capitalist society. Law can never be higher than the economic structure of society and its cultural development conditioned thereby, unquote. And so, in the first phase of communist society, usually called socialism, bourgeois law is not abolished in its entirety, but only in part, only in proportion to the economic revolution so far attained, i.e., only in respect of the means of production. Bourgeois law recognizes them as the private property of individuals. Socialism converts them into common property. To that extent, and to that extent alone, bourgeois law disappears. However, it persists as far as its other part is concerned. It persists in the capacity of regulator, determining factor, in the distribution of products, 
and the allotment of labor among the members of society. The socialist principle, he who does not work shall not eat, is already realized. The other socialist principle, an equal amount of products for an equal amount of labor, is also already realized. But this is not yet communism, and it does not yet abolish bourgeois law, which gives unequal individuals, in return for unequal, really unequal, amounts of labor, equal amounts of products. This is a defect, says Marx, but it is unavoidable in the first phase of communism, for if we are not to indulge in utopianism, we must not think that having overthrown capitalism, people will at once learn to work for society without any rules of law. Besides, the abolition of capitalism does not immediately create the economic prerequisites for such a change. Can we pause here? Now, there are no other rules that... Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, what I'm hearing here is, is talking about this transitional phase, and I think this is what we would refer to today as more like market socialism. So, you're not completely doing away with markets, you're not completely doing away with money and compensation for, for people. The only thing you're really transforming so far is, is giving the workers uh, control over their means of production. And then, and over time, people get used to this sort of a system, and eventually the world is, is ready for communism. And, and also, you know, like even in the case of the USSR, they still had to rely on products from outside of their borders for a lot of stuff. You know, you're not going to have mines that produce everything, even in a vast wilderness like uh, the, the USSR was. And so you're still going to have to deal with global markets, even if you've more or less done away with them um, in your own lands. So I, I think that's kind of a practical way of, of looking at it. And I, I, I kind of like that strategy of, of yeah, not all at I once mean, change. And I think that that answers once and for all. Well, I mean, to me, this has been answered for a long time, but China is socialist. Hmm. As you said, you need to interact with global yeah, markets. Absolutely. To take right. care of your own people. Yeah. And, and I would say that, that many of the gains that, that China has made, where they've eliminated extreme poverty, um, and uh, I guess that's the, that's the main one that comes to, to mind. They're, they're definitely moving towards a more communist society. As, as far yeah. as I can tell. And, and China's not something that I've, I've studied extensively myself, so I'm just going off of, of what I know so far. But, yeah. Fair enough. Um, John said, we have to love the wealth of our community and one another mm -hmm. and our own share or need with the respect to the environment. With respect, sorry, to the environment. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. John's always on point. <laughs> um, in pertaining to a lot of this, we have a lot more capacity than they did back then as far as those means of production also being automated in so many industries that if we were to upgrade said automation and implement it in areas where it's not yet but could be, we mm -hmm. can cut back significantly on the amount of work even needing to be done yes. at all because that would be a wonderful fucking world where people didn't yeah. have to work. So you just touched on something very important. Um, remember that when <laughs> Lenin was writing this, that Russia wasn't industrialized yet. Hmm. Right. 
when when Mao gained power in China, China was not industrialized yet. True. So that's going to change how the results of the revolution even look. Mm-hmm. Um, Significant. Because, I, I mean, like you said, we should be pushing for automation. We should be pushing for shorter work days. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and I right. think for... For those of us, like myself included, who, who think that perhaps things like uh, worker-owned cooperatives could be a good stepping stone towards a, a more socialist or communist society or whatever sort of leftist society, I think it's a really good selling point to, to um, tell people that the way things are right now with capitalism, all of the gains in, autom- in automation go directly to the people that own those robots or, or whatever the process is, it goes to the owner class and it's at the expense of the worker. People lose their jobs over automation constantly. It's a, it's a terrible problem that capitalism can't really solve. All you have to do is invert that a little bit and have everyone be an owner and now suddenly any gain in automation at your workplace is a gain for everybody. It's it's more profit uh, and you can decide it, how you want to... to um, how you want to play it. You could work less and just have everyone work less hours, or you could all work the same hours and enjoy more, uh, you know, profit shared amongst all of you. So I think, I mean, for me, that would be a real big selling point if I was trying to be persuaded by someone to, to adopt that sort of a system. Agreed. Absolutely. Cause that's the thing of uh, the automation should be a beneficial aspect to everyone involved <laughs> yeah. there, not a threat Absolutely. to your survival. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's called technological progress. Like, you think it would be progress for everybody, but instead it's, it's, right. it's again, just for the people that own it. Yeah. Sees the fucking means. It always seems to be that way. <laughs> there you go. Wait, what? <laughs> I said, seize the fucking means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right on. <laughs> the capitalists do not have the right to exploit you. Don't give them the privilege. Right. Absolutely. So John said, restore community yes. and art and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can get rid of this starving artist motif once and for all. Music right. is labor. Art is Absolutely. labor. Writing a book is labor. We still seem to understand that one, but you get the point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we, we should want that as a society. It, it enriches us all to have that, that being able to be produced. You know and I mean, how think how many... Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you know how much I would love to be able to just do music and art and not have to worry about yeah. anything else other than like we, we contribute labor to these <laughs> segments. But sure. Yeah. Just enjoy creating instead of being told by society that I need to perform some labor for somebody else to profit off of to justify my existence. Fuck that. Absolutely. I would rather create things that bring beauty to people's lives. Right on. And and just think of how many people would be liberated and able to do that sort of thing if they weren't constantly struggling for survival. How many people now that, that you know, spend their time rushing from three different jobs just to, to make ends meet and raise their family or whatever, 
how many of them could then be free to actually decide whether or not they want to do art as, as part of, of what they contribute to the world or, or, you know, invent things or, you know, produce other things that, that, that right now they just have no ability to do because they're just trying to survive. Um, John said profits should go to state and given the, the difference in what that would mean in a communist society where the state means everyone, so yeah. there would no longer be a representative government, it's you, you represent your fucking self, you know, one person, one vote. In that mm -hmm. case, yes, I, I, I would agree because that would mean that would be getting dispersed amongst everybody according to their need. Absolutely. And that's an important part to, to keep in mind is that the sort of state that, that Lenin is talking about. And we've, we've discussed this in previous episodes, too, but it's worth bringing up again. Um, the state that we have now in capitalist countries is a bourgeois state. It is for private property. It, it reinforces private property. It defends private property. What the, the sort of state that Lenin is talking about is a state that is for the workers, that reinforces workers, and that defends workers. So it's, it's, it's not the big bad boogeyman of the state, some, some detached, unelected people who just, you know, from on high, iron-fistedly control everyone's lives to the minute detail. That's, that's not at all what, what he's advocating for in this. Right. No, like John just said, the state is us. Right. All of that's us. That's how it's supposed to be. The people, yes. Management and yeah. public service state. So, so I, li I like to even try and use different terms, like at least a worker state or the commune or something else, because I think it, it really is a different sort of a, a conceptualization than people are used to. And I think that that's a sticking point for a lot of people. Like, oh, you just it want really the government is. to do everything for you? Well, no, no, that's that's not at all what's being no, talked about. No, we want to hold that power that is being held in government by a few hands of crusty old white men that are driving shit into the ground and have been for years because they're all pushing like 90 and they're out of touch with society. Yeah, no, that power needs to be in the hands of the people. Not Absolutely. people who are self-anointed into positions. This is yeah. something we've discussed quite a bit recently too. Of like, oh, you got the right last name, so you got the spot. Fuck that. Fuck that. No, all power to the people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and you're welcome, Natalie. I, I'm I'm glad that helps to to clarify that. And yes, as John just said, non-dictatorial, right? Yeah, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a dictatorship of the proletariat. Of the proletariat. That, that's always the part that's missing when people are trying to criticize socialism and, and communism stuff. Not just a dictatorship, a dictatorship of the people, instead of the capitalist class. Because that's what we have now. We have a dictatorship of, of the capital class. And or of the bourgeoisie. When we break that down to, with intersectionality, it comes down mm -hmm. to a dictatorship of mostly old, white, wealthy men. <laughs> there is a severe imbalance when it comes to because yeah. holy fuck, the, the various facets of society that that affects when it comes to inequality, not just on the economic level, but on the, are your fucking rights as a human being even being respected level, it's a problem. Absolutely. 
And you don't have to invoke some sort of like shadowy cabal or some grand conspiracy to, to understand what all of that is. It's all no. just the, the, the inertia of entrenched power that's been going on since people, you know, have had civilization really and have had civilizational advantages over others. So um, they're just coasting off of, of the ill-gotten gains of, of their um, ancestors. Um, yeah. and, and, that, and that's why it, it ends up that way still. Right. No conspiracy theories need. Just look at the people you've mm -hmm. elected and the people who were in those seats before them and mm -hmm. before them and how mm -hmm. all of them colluded and scratched each other's backs mm -hmm. at the cost of all of us, the rest of society. Well said. Absolutely. Thank you. Back to the text. Let's do it. And those of bourgeois law. To this extent, therefore, there still remains the estate, which, while safeguarding the common ownership of the means of production, would safeguard equality in labor and in the distribution of products. The state withers away insofar as there are no longer any capitalists, any classes, and consequently no class can be suppressed. But the state has not yet completely withered away, since there still remains the safeguarding of bourgeois law, which sanctifies actual inequality. For the state to wither away completely, complete communism is necessary. End of section 3. Section 4. The higher phase of communist society. Marx continues, quote, In a higher phase of communist society, after the enslaving subordination of the individual to the division of labor, and with it also the antithesis between mental and physical labor has vanished, after labor has become not only a livelihood, but life's prime want, after the productive forces have increased with the all-around development of the individual, and all the springs of cooperative wealth flow more abundantly, only then can the narrow horizon of bourgeois law be left behind in its entirety, and society inscribe on its banners from each according to his ability to each according to his needs." Unquote. Only now can we fully appreciate the correctness of Engels' remarks mercilessly ridiculing the absurdity of combining the words freedom and state. So long as the state exists, there is no freedom. When there is freedom, there will be no state. The economic basis for the complete withering away of the state is such a high state of development of communism at which the antithesis between mental and physical labor disappears, at which there consequently disappears one of the principal sources of modern social inequality, a source, moreover, which cannot on any account be removed immediately by the mere conversion of the means of production into public property, by the mere expropriation of the capitalists. This expropriation will make it possible for the productive forces to develop to a tremendous extent. And when we see how incredibly capitalism is already retarding this development, when we see how much progress could be achieved on the basis of the level of technique already attained, we are entitled to say with the fullest confidence that the expropriation of the capitalists will inevitably result in an enormous development of the productive forces of human society. But how rapidly this development will proceed, how soon it will reach the point of breaking away from the division of labor, of doing away with the antithesis between mental and physical labor, 
of transforming labor into life's prime want, we do not and cannot know. That is why we are entitled to speak only of the inevitable withering away of the state, emphasizing the protracted nature of this process and its dependence upon the rapidity of development of the higher phase of communism, and leaving the question of the time required for, or the concrete forms of, the withering away quite open, because there is no material for answering these questions. The state will... So... I guess I wanted to uh, interject there to say that he's he's reiterating that he doesn't know. Um, you know the the question of time, the concrete forms of how it's going to wither away. He doesn't know there had at that point never been a successful proletarian revolution. Mm-hmm. And it was ignorant and arrogant of him to try to assert any specific time frame on that when you can't speak yeah. for any experience and look at what's happened before because right. it hadn't happened yet. Very true. Very um, true. You know, now look at examples like Cuba and be able to see and look at the revolution currently ongoing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They are still you know, in the lower stage of communism. Same mm-hmm. thing with China. And look at what all they've already accomplished with that. You know, they too don't have extreme poverty. They don't have any going fucking hungry. Nobody has health care. You know, they've taken leaps and bounds in a mere few decades. To tie in uh, I like uh, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, Joe, where no man has gone before. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. But yeah, I, I mean, he had no way of knowing what was going to happen. And I, I mean, I, I think that all things, all, all of the mistakes and shortcomings aside, I think the USSR was a good example of what a proletarian state can achieve. Mm-hmm. Was it the end-all, be-all of communism? No, of Absolutely. course not. No. But it was a damn good first example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it would have been amazing to see what would have happened had it not been beset on all sides from uh, capitalists trying to destroy it from the very onset of it, like like literally right after the revolution happened. So without that that outward pressure, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it w- it would still have gone on to this day. Right. Agreed. It still just pisses me off to see uh, things, things like our embargo against Cuba, and it's like, oh. why are you gonna be so fucking salty, America? You know? Uh, I know. How dare they take back their sugar plantations? Yeah. How how dare they not right. want to work for uh, casinos run by the mafia? <laughs> how dare they not be satisfied with a, a tourist industry? They still rely pretty heavily on the tourist industry, but well, I feel but, like that looks a lot different now than it That's did. what I'm saying. Yeah. I was going to say, like, a, a tourist industry where only a few are profiting. I think I think Trish is uh, bugging out again. 
am. I, yeah, I've got the little war signal going on here, so oh. I don't know how much. Don't oh shit! <laughs> She'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's continue on. We'll be able to wither away completely when society adopts the rule quote from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. I.e. Okay, so I know that I just unpaused it, but okay, so I don't know if if you uh, Zach caught our stream last night, um, but. Basically, well, we didn't talk about it that much in that episode, but Mako wants to come back to talk about how the indigenous people here on Turtle Island were uh, communists before communism. And I mean, like, yeah. from each according to his ability to each as, uh, according to his needs didn't need to be written down by the indigenous people. It was just oh, understood. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's just kind of a, a general way that that tribes and bands organize themselves. I mean, not not just in North America, but but throughout the history of 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 us living that way. Because like, you know, that's just how you are. It, it's it's usually mostly a family group for one thing. So it it literally is your family that you're defending and uh, taking care of. So it's not surprising that family rules apply. Like like within most people's family. You wouldn't have to work in order to get dinner when you were a kid or, you know, you wouldn't have to be uh, show you that you're a profitable member of the family to, to keep being a part of that family. That, 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 that's ridiculous. So, yeah, it's not it's not surprising at all that, that that's the way that that most tra uh, tribes and bands uh, pretty much organize themselves. Right. A lot of um, it comes down to their you're you're cutting out again but yeah you're you're completely you're completely right there um but but yeah i mean like they're they're rules of society were different than than ours are, and I mean, when when he says rightful stewards, he he specifically refers to Turtle Island, meaning North America. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, they lived in harmony with Turtle with Turtle Island, and since colonizers have, or Europeans as mm -hmm. we call ourselves, have arrived here, we've left behind us a path, a, a trail of extinction. And that was pretty profound, but yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of it comes down to the the spiritual, uh, the spiritual side, the spiritual, the spiritual side of it, and um, that that's something that he stressed a lot. But anyway, we're getting a little off topic, so no, I enjoy it though. That's cool. I mean, agreed. Agreed. Um, for that matter, I, c I still can't wait to have Mako back on. He was a great... Um, I don't so, even yeah. know that I want to call him a guest. I felt like I was the guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go back and watch that one. Uh, yeah. It was a beautiful conversation. 
this an awesome person, beautiful soul. And he's just one of those people that carry you right up to actually get to work on changing these things. I love the passion he brings to the table for what he's doing. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out. I only caught the very beginning of it, and then I had to do other stuff. But I'll, I'll go circle back and, and uh, check that one out for sure. Indeed. Um, anyway, yeah, back, back to the text. When people have become so accustomed to observing the fundamental rules of social intercourse, and when their labor has become so productive that they will voluntarily work according to their ability, the narrow horizon of bourgeois law, which compels one to calculate with the heartlessness of a Shylock whether one has not worked half an hour more than everybody else, this narrow horizon will then be left behind. There will then be no need for society in distributing the products to regulate the quantity to be received by each. Each will take freely according to his need. Can you pause for just one second? From yeah. the bourgeois point of I just wanted to address that one uh, ethnic slur there. Um, yeah, that that that's one thing that has not aged well. Apparently, I was not expecting that. Uh, but yeah, for the for those who might be look, wondering which one that is, I'm I'm pretty sure that that one there, the heartless heartlessness of a, and then he says it. I believe that refers to Jews. I think that's a pejorative for Jews. So that's unfortunate to see. Yeah, it's a, it's a reference to Shakespeare, so really oh, okay. would have been the anti-Semitic one there. But Yeah, um, still. <laughs> yeah. kind of hit it pretty hard. Right. <laughs> yep, that one definitely did not age well at all. It's like, wait a fucking yeah. minute. Yeah. But yeah, the, you know, the notes at the bottom say that a, a Shylock is a moneylender and Shakespeare is the merchant of Venice. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, okay, historically speaking, the whole reason why white Europeans fucking hated Jews so much in that context is mm -hmm. because Jews will not charge interest to fellow Jews. Not mm -hmm. allowed to, according to the Torah. You know, that is one of those Old Testament laws. You are not allowed to charge interest. But yeah. you can charge goyim no, no interest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so white people were mad that they couldn't get money lended to them without interest but Jewish people could from each other you know um, yeah. it was just they were driving a massive salt truck they were very salty <laughs> about that yeah I've actually uh, never heard that as a racial slur, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, I know I've heard it somewhere. It's not. It's definitely not used much anymore. Thank goodness some things <laughs> wither away. But uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought I'd point that out because I, I didn't want that to just go unaddressed. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> definitely needed to be one of those moments of again let's bring this into modern context and wait a fucking minute that's not okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah well said all right to view it is easy to declare that such a social order is quote sheer utopia 
and to sneer at the socialists for promising everyone the right to receive from society without any control over the labor of the individual citizen, any quantity of truffles, cars, pianos, etc. Even to this day, most bourgeois savants confine themselves to sneering in this way, comment, nothing has changed, thereby betraying both their ignorance and their selfish defense of capitalism. That was great. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same thing, and then he uh, said it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah anyway back to the text that was great <laughs> ignorance for it has never entered the head of any socialist to promise that the higher phase of the development of communism will arrive as for the greatest socialists forecasts that it will arrive it presupposes not the present ordinary run of people who like the seminary students in Polyamovsky's stories are capable of damaging the stocks of public wealth just for fun and of demanding the impossible. Commenting, I'm so glad Lenin put in that section because you see among anti-communist trolls very often, particularly like, you know, Pepe Keck flag kind of people, um, you know, making like, ex well, what if I wanted to do this? And it's like, well, it's because you're a fucking moron raised in bourgeois society <laughs> is afraid of communism. Yes. And that's the only reason you're like saying that in the first place. Uh, in an actual society where people were just sort of going about their life, immediately, if you tried to do that, somebody would just like shout you down for being a moron and like you wouldn't dare do it because all of society would immediately be like scowling at you or worse. And already, many people already disapprove of these people, but under a communist society that would be providing very well for people, that people would be happy with, um, no one would tolerate these people for even an instant. Okay, back to the text. And I, I just want to add Until one more Until the higher too. phase of communism. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's talking about that. He, he, his comment was about um, how social controls would work. And... Uh, it's it's similar to when people are like, uh, what would we do without police? People would just go nuts and like do all this, this you know, they'd be looting and stealing and, and uh, murdering and all this stuff. And uh, I mean, the fact is right now, police's main job is to uh, protect capital and, and, and capitalists more than more than anything else. Anything else is just kind of an extra that they, they happen to do. Um, so for a lot of people, a great majority of, of people they kind of already live in a, in a society without police uh, and people that live in in wealthier neighborhoods even even middle-class neighborhoods 99 percent of their life is without any sort of police interaction and yet they somehow manage right probably because their needs are met I would I would surmise because uh, they don't have to worry about struggling to survive and if you realize that then it shouldn't be too much of a stretch to realize that that most crime out there that people are upset about, especially things like theft, are due to class inequality that that's been imposed on people, rather than any sort of inherent, you know, essentialism that that is from any sort of person that's that's committing the crime. So when when you take that away, you take away a lot of the the impetus for crime, even some violent crimes. A lot of domestic disputes are over money. And, and usually the lack of it or how it's spent or, or any of that sort of thing. 
if those pressures are, are taken away too, you would definitely see that sort of thing going down as well. So, yeah. <laughs> and then for, for everything else, yeah. No one's just going to let people go running around raping and murdering and, and doing terrible things. It's, nobody likes that stuff. Everyone can understand that that's bad. And if we were thinking of ourselves not as just individuals, but as, as a, you know, a part, of, a part of the government and a part of society, then, then it's not too much of a further leap to assume that, that people will, yes, just rush to the rescue of people um, and protect one another. And not allow these these idiots to to keep going on and and do <laughs> terrible things to each other. Natalie said, "Property first should be the police motto, as it proves correct by their actions." <laughs> well now that said. would that would be honest branding of the police department. Forget serve and protect. It's it's property first. That that's a slogan I can get behind, and at least for its honesty. I don't know where you guys are at, but around here, they've just stopped putting to serve and protect on the side of their cars. It's here not too. there anymore. It just says police. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of telling on themselves again. <laughs> Hell, probably the, the most hilarious cop shit I've ever fucking seen in my whole life was on Key West because they have different divisions of their police for different shit. And one mm. time I got a parking ticket. I went over to get the shit dropped and try to talk to whoever fucking wrote it, you know, trying to mm. contact the parking police. Yeah. I get there in the, there's a big ass sign out. In front. They're in a strip mall, huge sign that says Department of Parking Revenue. I was like, God damn, at least you're honest. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That is truth truth and advertising. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's so absolutely true. Uh, across the country, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I, I keep cutting you off because you're lagging. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. Go for it. I was okay. literally like, whispering like I was pissed. <laughs> oh, I would be too. I would be too. But, but yeah, like literally across the country, like uh, um, one of the, the big uh, contributing factors to um, the, the riots in Ferguson was that there, there was so much uh, wealth inequality that, that the city's, one of the city's main revenue sources was just ticketing poor people, basically, for minor infractions, a lot of like parking and, and, and you know, driving with a taillight out all that sort of thing and and that's that's true for a lot of cities across the country that like their 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 number one revenue source is making money off of you committing minor infractions which is kind of bizarre if you think about it like if you funding your government out of people not listening to the government it's just kind of weird to me and specifically targeting people who are already oppressed in other manners like going oh, after yeah. poor people like for example okay yeah. I, I found out when i actually talked to the dude that runs that department of parking revenue and got the shit dropped um that the reason why i got the parking ticket for being there now mind you didn't know about this apparently there was a rule of nothing over 20 foot long in my motorhome i had at the time was 24 foot nothing that long can be parked street side but i was literally told to park there by other cops who were like, hey, that's a safe safe spot to park. These ones over here oh, are not. Geez. You know, like 
the that chick was actually trying to look out and she's like just fucking watch out for the parking police <laughs> you know um what but the reason why i got that ticket why they even came over there in the first place i was parked by the beach and some rich bitch in a huge ass fucking mansion across the street from the beach called complaining like why should i have to look at this old thing parked out there because the one i had at the time was like an 87 you know it wasn't pretty but damn it it didn't have no burnout lights or nothing like that. there was nothing they could actually ticket me for on the vehicle everything was up to par but doesn't want to look out her balcony and see an old rv out there by the oh, beach God. Yeah. yeah. It's like I mean so you should have asked her if she'd rather Yeah, I mean would would they rather see people in tents because if you take away your RV that's going to kind of be what you're left with. I mean it's just it makes no sense to me. The mentality of these people. I got the right to The thing is even if I had uh been able to get a campsite at the one campground that's right there um, which none were available. But even if I'd been able to do so, I would have still been driving myself to the fucking beach to go down there and go swimming. Mm -hmm. How can mm -hmm. you, like, there's no in here. Like, I went off because that deal funded to this day from money left there by the dude it's named after. It's Higgs Beach. And uh -huh. his entire goal in setting that up with the dog park, the bird sanctuary, everything that's out, he even had it set up with RV parking, with post to plug in for free and keep like your AC on and stuff. <clears throat> that park is still funded by his fucking money that he left when he died. Wow. And they're cut all because there's a lot of homeless people who come down there and would do those things to do stuff like you know get whatever. It's it's ridiculous shit, and I don't mean to go on a rant about some personal shit. That people who have been most out of capitalism, every fact that determines that they already exploited the fucking death. Mm -hmm. They charge mm -hmm. for it. Yep, because because they're the most vulnerable, and they the, they have the least resources to fight back. So yeah, it's it's you know, a lot of these fines are just poverty taxes, really. Because on the other end of it, if you're so wealthy that that uh, you don't really care about parking at all, then, I mean, any sort of a fine is just a, a use tax for you, basically. It just becomes the fee to use it. You want to park in a handicapped spot? Well, it's just $200 to park there. It's not looked at as a fine if, if money is nothing to you. So, so again, <laughs> just extra privileges for people that have money and, and extra fines for... You know, and, and extra taxes for people that don't. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and I, I was—I was also—I also wanted to mention um, just another one of those those myths about policing. When those cops told you that 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 you could park there, um, it's it's been ruled that there's no duty for the police to actually know the law that they are enforcing ever. Very true. They. The they don't have they to don't. cite the law <laughs> and most of the times they don't because i mean they get what not all that much training they don't have to go to a, even a, a you know they don't have to get an associate's degree i don't believe so i'm not sure how long police academy is but it's shorter than any sort of college 
that's kind of weird. Um, probably not going yeah, to have lawyers have to go to school for seven plus oh. years to be able to practice the law in court. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that makes no sense. So, so, so right. to serve. The... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh. I was going to say you should need at least that long too if you're going to be a police officer. The lawyers yeah because i mean if you think about it a, a cop is is more or less just a lawyer and also a judge and a jury with a gun <laughs> so giving them extra uh um abilities and immunities without expecting the same amount of responsibility for them is is just a recipe for disaster oh and yep. hello hello jelly moon good to have you here I see that popping up from my chat. Natalie said, I believe it's 24 months in the U.S. Sounds about right. 24 months. Yeah. Utterly ridiculous. Months. Utterly ridiculous. America. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> right. Back to the text. <laughs> <laughs> Communism arrives, the socialists demand the strictest control by society and by the state over the measure of labor and the measure of consumption. But this control must start with the expropriation of the capitalists, with the establishment of workers' control over the capitalists, and must be exercised not by a state of bureaucrats, but by a state of armed workers. The selfish defense of capitalism by the bourgeois ideologists and their hangers-on, like the Tseratellis, Chernovs, and company, consists in that they substitute arguing and talk about the distant future for the vital and burning question of present-day politics, namely the expropriation of the capitalists, the conversion of all citizens into workers, and other employees of one huge syndicate, the whole state, and the complete subordination of the entire work of this syndicate to a genuinely democratic state, the state of the Soviets of workers and soldiers deputies. In fact, I just wanted to, to, to pause right here to point out that he's reiterating what we already reiterated, that he reiterated before that we re reiterated. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about a completely different type of state. Right. We're not talking about a bourgeois state. We're not talking about a representative democracy. We're talking about a radical form of democracy. A true dictatorship of the proletariat. Going right. back to like what John said earlier, that would be a case where we are the state. It is no real governing power of authority over you when you have an equal stand and an equal say just as much as anybody else in the community. This requires people to participate. <laughs> That's a problem too, apathy. But anyhow. Well said, Wade. He said the difference of state is of absolutely paramount importance. 
Oh, uh, sorry, just a, a little housekeeping there. I see that uh, uh, Jelly Moon has informed me that if you're if you're smoking on the on the stream, I can get in trouble with Twitch if it's not set to mature. And I tried to to change the settings, and I, I can't do it on the fly, unfortunately. So. Okay, I will uh, do that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, and thanks thanks for that that flag there, Jelly Moon. I appreciate that. I didn't know that. Thank That's that. actually really interesting because we've been uh, also on Twitch for quite a while. Granted, I don't really keep up with my Twitch account. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. we have been flagged for it, and I just don't know. Um, but yeah, good to know for future. Yeah, episodes. good to know. Um, all right. Back to the text. When a learned professor, followed by the Philistine, followed in turn by the Tseretelis and Chernovs, talks of wild utopias, of the demagogic promises of the Bolsheviks, of the impossibility of introducing socialism, it is the higher stage, or phased, of communism that they have in mind, which no one has ever promised, or even thought to introduce, because generally speaking, it cannot be introduced. Comment meaning you cannot start with that. You cannot go from capitalism right to that. One other well, quick shucks. comment also. This is the <laughs> second place where a phrase like he who does not work cannot eat or conversion of all citizens into workers, etc. Um, I have seen misunderstanding of this applied to people who currently are unemployed, etc. I just want to make clear, people who are unemployed are considered workers. They are workers who are put out of work by capital, not by their own, you know, parasitic class interests. When Marx talks about people who don't work not eating, he means capitalists don't work. They live off of other people's work yes. like parasites. This is not, and I want to be very clear about this, an attack on people who receive welfare benefits, etc., under capitalism. Those are, as socialists would consider, working people who got fucked over by capitalists. Hmm. Want to be real clear about that. Right-wingers often pervert these things, as they pervert a lot in socialism, to try to deprive us of our phrases and their meaning. Like they took right to work, which originally meant the right to meaningful, dignified work that you can actually, you know, have a good standard of living doing. And they turned it into an anti-labor union slogan. It's the same here where they use slogans like, you know, those who don't work can't eat. And they turn it into an attack on working people who are receiving assistance because capitalism isn't paying them enough to live or something like that. Right-wingers often, this is standard practice, take radical rhetoric, pervert it, and then use it to punch down, but only by twisting its meaning. Don't be fooled. Okay, continuing. And this brings us to the question of the scientific distinction between socialism and communism, which Engels touched on in his above-quoted argument about the incorrectness of the name social democrat. Politically, the distinction between the first or lower and the higher phase of communism will in time probably be tremendous. But it would be ridiculous to recognize this distinction now under capitalism. Only individual anarchists, perhaps, could invest it with primary importance. 
if there still are people among the anarchists who have learned nothing from the Plekhanov conversion of the Kropotkins, of Grave, of Cornelicine, and other stars of anarchism into social chauvinists or anarcho-trenchists, as Ge, one of the few anarchists who have still preserved a sense of humor and a conscience, has put it. But the scientific uh, distinction between socialism... note here. Um, Alexander okay. Ge and other anarchists, such as Emma Goldman and Errico Malatesta, denounced the signers of the Manifesto of the Sixteen as having betrayed anarchist ideas. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I wish I knew more context about that, but I don't offhand. Yeah, me either. I do know that the Manifesto of the Sixteen, according to another note, mm -hmm. um, all are mentioned here by Lenin for signing the pro-war Manifesto of the Sixteen in 1916, thereby, in their eyes, abandoning their revolutionary views. Which, I mean, World War One was a war of imperialism, if we really get down to it. So there was a lot of contention globally on the left um, about the war. Like, that's what caused the first Red Scare here, here in the United States, was the socialists were against the war. So, you know, the government was like, oh, well, if you're not for the war, then you're a goddamn commie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to hear that laugh from the ether there. I know, right? <laughs> you can't see me. <laughs> Trisha is definitely not smoking over there. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll quit being dumb. Back to the text. <laughs> and communism is clear. What is usually called socialism was termed by Marx the first, or lower phase, of communist society. Insofar as the means of production becomes common property, the word communism is also applicable here, providing we do not forget that this is not complete communism. The great significance of Marx's explanations is that here, too, he consistently applies materialist dialectics, the theory of development, and regards communism as something which develops out of capitalism. Instead of scholastically invented, concocted definitions and fruitless disputes over words, what is socialism? What is communism? Marx gives an analysis of what might be called the stages of the economic maturity of communism. In its first phase or first stage, communism cannot as yet be fully mature economically and entirely free from traditions or vestiges of capitalism. Hence the interesting phenomenon that communism in its first phase retains, quote, the narrow horizon of bourgeois law. Of course, bourgeois law in regard to the distribution of consumer goods inevitably presupposes the existence of the bourgeois state, for law is nothing without an apparatus capable of enforcing the observance of the rules of law. It follows that under communism there remains for a time not only bourgeois law, but even the bourgeois state without the bourgeoisie. This may okay, so I don't know if he was about to put a comment there, but it sounded like it. Um, in the book, though, in the liner notes, it says, Lenin does not mean that it is a state in which the bourgeoisie retained political power. However, mm -hmm. the new post-revolutionary worker state, the dictatorship of the proletariat, 
must still base itself partially on bourgeois laws because the economy and social structures that the working class inherits cannot be transformed overnight. For right. instance, the worker state could decide to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 75% in five years' time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. How you doing over there in the ether, Trisha? <laughs> I'm doing well. I definitely did not put that cigarette out and light something else on fire. I'm definitely oh. not smoking marijuana on the show that is completely legal for medicinal and recreational use in my state. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I, I think I'll probably just... Uh, in the future, put my Twitch stream on on mature just as a, as a blanket thing because that is they did rule that that was legal too with Twitch that as long as it's legal in your state you can smoke on stream so which is why I'm being very specific because I was smoking on stream earlier yeah. so just being very specific that is legal here yeah yeah <laughs> it's also legal here I don't yep. I mean I don't usually smoke on stream anyway but if yeah. I did. Well, if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to sit through these streams because of the nerve pain. So it is mm. what it is. It is you know? what it is. Totally understand. Um, also, I think you can set your um, icon to just, uh, instead of being your camera, it can be like another icon. So you can change your avatar, I think. You can switch between. I don't know if I have any photos on this laptop. I should by now. I've had it a few months, but. I think you can just make it a letter too, like so it would be like a T or something like that. Well, that's what's showing on the little window there, but when oh. I click change avatar, uh, okay, there we go. Let's see if I can find something. Give me a moment. So at least other people would know you're here. That that's all I'm saying. Right. Yeah. It doesn't do like on Zoom where it just blacks your screen out. It just doesn't have a window there for me well, at all. See. It's just a voice coming at you from the ether. Which y'all should be used to with the way my signal cuts out. Shit. <laughs> uh, Indeed. All right. Well, uh. Let's see what happens if I just. Oh, see if I put that up there. Why doesn't that show up on the screen, though? That's yeah, weird. Yeah, that's weird. Like, it, it shows for just a split second, and then I can still see it, but it's not showing on the screen. Huh. Man, I'll have to find some kind of tutorial about that. Well, let me know what you find. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, yeah, continuing uh, on. Well, find a picture of me, but I'd find some Banksy art. There we go. All right. I am here. Did that pop? Nope, that didn't pop it back up on the display. No, it's not. It's not popping up for some reason. I don't know what That's to do weird. about that. I don't know. But here. I'm done smoking for now, so... Hello. Sound like a paradox, or simply a dialectical conundrum, of which Marxism is often accused by people who have not taken the slightest trouble to study its extraordinarily profound content. But in fact, remnants of the old, surviving in the new, confront us in life at every step, both in nature and in society. And Marx did not arbitrarily insert a scrap of bourgeois law into communism, but indicated what is economically and politically inevitable in a society emerging out of the womb of capitalism. Okay, so there's another um, 
liner note. Another example, under a worker's state, domestic violence will be illegal. What sort of punishment and or psychological treatment is prescribed is another question, but the state, the working class organized as the ruling class, will still have an interest in protecting its citizens. However, the fact that there will still be domestic violence in the years after the revolution because of the damage done to individuals by capitalist society still means that society is sick and needs coercive laws or bourgeois laws. So like, I guess in that sense, if we look at China or we look at Cuba, they do still have a fairly bourgeois law set up um, in, in terms of the structure of the laws themselves. Like, yes, there are laws that restrict what people do, but it's kind of basic shit. Like, you know, don't fucking kill people. Don't, don't beat your wife or your husband. You, mm-hmm. you know, like, don't, don't go around raping people. From people. Exactly. Don't be a fucking pedo. Yeah. Now, see, that's, there's certain extreme crimes like that, that I think definitely would call for just a death penalty. There's other stuff that it's like, okay, expulsion from the community. Bye. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but shit that there's no fixing. There's no getting a pedo to not be a pedo. They've tried 50 million different ways from therapy and whatnot. You can't condition that out of someone. The only way to stop that person from being a harm to the rest of society is to remove them from society. And that's just a sad fucking truth that until those types of people stop doing that type of shit, there's going to be a need for some type of criminal law to handle that. For sure. Um, I I respectfully disagree a little bit on on the case of rehabilitation with with pedophiles. I've heard from a a therapist friend of mine who has worked with those populations that, sure, maybe you can't get them to stop having certain urges or or, uh, desires, but you can get them from stop. You you can stop them from acting on it, and I think if if we're looking at the consequences of people's actions, um, kind of guiding the law, then then perhaps we can get to a point where, you know, they're allowed to be in, you know, uh, something short of of just killing them. Maybe um, I can understand the the the, uh, the desire to do so. Like it's it's definitely really terrible stuff. But I don't know that there's absolutely no hope for them. That, that's all I'm trying to say. Well, maybe some. There might be some cases. But most, mm-hmm. no. Like even ones who have been chemically castrated have ended up going and getting testosterone they can order online to counteract the chemical castration. Or in other cases, used objects to rape children. Sure. So well, I mean, yeah, definitely. There's no, if there's no stopping a motherfucker, there's no reason to allow them continued opportunity to go around harming the community. Um, right. But the prison system is also something we need to abolish. So there's got to be an answer that doesn't involve a prison system that has the corruption and problems that it has. You right know, uh, on that. I tend to think that (laughs) we talked about this briefly on yesterday's stream. 
I think that we should ask fucking Mako. Like, how do we deal right. with these specific types of offenders? How? How? I mean, like he pointed out, before the colonizers came, there were no locks, there were no jails, there were mm-hmm. no fucking doors. Nobody stole. No. Nobody needed to go to jail. Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, when there was harms caused, he wasn't specific on what kinds, but, you know, that they would exile people from the community and sometimes sure. give them a chance, you know, 10 years later, whatever, to come back. Um, but in these specific cases that we're talking about of severe violent harm is destroying the lives of innocent children, mm-hmm. especially, uh, I don't think exiling would be sufficient. And in the cases, well, of the he ones said there was other methods too. He just didn't elaborate. Right. Um, the thing is, it's a double-edged sword in, like, the cases of the ones your friend was referring to of actually having, you know, some breakthrough with them. Um, mm-hmm. You exile them so that they can't cause harm to the community and then cut them off then from those resources that they would need for continued therapy so they don't go back on that behavior just in another community. I, I, know, I think in those I think in those cases, what what they what they do now is, they're just very closely monitored in all of their activities. You know, they they're allowed to go to work and, and work a job and stuff, uh, as long as they don't have contact with anyone that they could harm. And uh, yeah, they're just very tightly controlled in their their movements. And in a in a more communal society, I would I would have to believe that that people would be more apt to look out for each other and just not allow these sorts of things to happen in the first place uh, more often. Um, you know, having so much private property and, and ability to, to keep people away and all that stuff, that, that can lead to situations where people can do really terrible things to one another. Um, but if we're having a more open society instead, then I would hope that, that would lead to you know, just well, those those sorts of people not being able to have access to to harm others in the first place. I would hope that too, but the problem is, um, statistically, in most cases, we're talking about close family members or friends of family that are doing these things. Mm-hmm. So there's either already an unawareness of it by the other adults in the situation, or they know, and they're not doing anything to stop it, whether it be for fear of harm. I mean, themselves. I think that it all comes down to capitalism. I think that these people are damaged as a result of capitalism. And I think that the family structures that you're referring to are also structures of capital. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it goes hand in hand with patriarchy and things along those lines that, right. you know, direct causes of great amounts of harm. Um but I don't think ending capitalism is going to solve people having a fucked up way of existing that that's what well, they not, do. not right away. No, but the idea is to shift society as a whole. I'm not, I mean, if we get rid of the condition, Oh, Oh, I see. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still here, really... but I, I need a cigarette for this conversation because this is... Yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean to touch yeah. off a, a touchy subject or anything well, like that. No, it's, it's okay. It needs to be discussed because this is one of the things that we are going to have to address post-revolution. Absolutely. How the fuck do you handle these types of crimes? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. That's true. And, and, and ultimately, like, I don't think... I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing that we have to deal with. I think that these people are sick as a result of capitalism. Like yeah. whether whether it's whether it's them directly or somebody else. I mean, I, I guess is really kind of irrelevant. But I, I mean, Lenin even says, uh, "Shit, where was that?" I shouldn't have put it down. <laughs> well, while you're looking for that, I'll jump in for a second here. Um, I, I think you're you're right for the most part, Rob. I think a lot of these these terrible things are a result of a a sick way of organizing society, where psychopaths are rewarded, or I mean, for lack of a better term, psychopaths, but people without empathy or remorse are rewarded for being ruthless and getting ahead and having power and having the power to control public opinion and all of that stuff. I think a, a lot of that is symptomatic and, and a problem of capitalism. At the same time, uh, there's just been cases in basically all of recorded societies, um, even people, even ones with just oral traditions, of people that no matter what you do, no matter how many times you uh, realign them, they still break the, the rules of their society. They still act without empathy. Um, so it does seem to be, at some point, something in human nature, uh, whether or not that was ever beneficial to the species or not, or whether it's an, just an aberration that just tends to happen to some people, there, there, there are some people that are just born without the capacity to really empathize with others and the, really, the, the care of, of who they hurt. Um, so I think you do have to figure out how to deal with those people one way or another. And and a good start is to not allow them to have power, for one thing. Um, well, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't think all those... Church. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a huge hierarchical power structure that is, is virtually unquestionable from within where that ends up leading to people being in positions where they can do terrible things to, to very vulnerable people. Um, Definitely, we just, I, I think, you know, as, as long as our focus is on the consequences of, of what sort of society we have, I think that can be kind of a, a guiding star for justice. So if we can make a society where people don't have access to abuse other people or where it's, it's, it's so difficult for that situation to even arise that even those with some sort of proclivity to it are not able to do it, then I think that's that's a society that we should try and pursue. Um, I like and, what Natalie just said, too. She said, if we could figure out brain chemistry and help them develop empathy, it would sure be worth it. I, I wonder if there is a connection there that could be addressed. Absolutely. Um, there's a really good podcast episode. I'll look for it as we're going through the chapter here. And uh, it, it, it's from this researcher who is, he was a, a brain scientist. I don't, I don't know what his official title was, but brain scientist. He would do brain scans of no. people. And 
Yeah. Well, no, no, not a phenology. <laughs> no, but anyway, he would do brain scans of people, and he was uh, he was looking for something, some sort of pattern that would come up in psych. He called them psychopaths, and and I know that's not the clinical term, but that's the term that he used. People without the ability to empathize with others. Well, it's, and it's been changed he, from psychopath to sociopath simply yeah, because yeah. of PC. Uh, yeah. You know. But anyway. Anyway. Anyway, we 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 know exactly. We know. Pretty much what what they're talking about when Disease they say against psychopath. Society. Right. Against society. Sure. Um, so anyway, he was looking through all these brain scans and stuff, and uh, uh, he he came up with this one. Or he he found a pattern. There's a certain part. I think it was in the frontal lobe of the brain. I'll, I'll have to to look back at that again. But anyway, there was severely diminished brain capacity or brain activity in that part of, of the, the, the brain uh, for people that lacked the ability to empathize with others. And he was scanning it through and scanning it through and he found, somehow or another, he found this one that, that, that um, he thought was an error. And he went back and found out that it turns out it was his brain scan. And um, it turns out that he virtually lacked the ability to empathize with others. He was living a normal life. He, he was not violent. Uh, he had a wife and children and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people who have that lack of ability to em empathize with others mm -hmm. who still are not any type of threat in any way. Many of them are good people. Right, right. And that's, and that's one of the things that came out of the research is that even people that, the vast majority of people that, that lack this empathy part of their brain just tend to live good lives just because they, they may have different motivations than you or me. They may end up hurting a lot of people just not in big ways, but like, you know, they're just inconsiderate, right? Yeah. Um, they're jerks or whatever. Uh, and, 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 you know, a lot of things fell into place. His, his wife was like, yeah, I'm not surprised. His children were the same way that, that he just, at some point when they, they would be talking with him about their problems, he would just kind of lose interest and go and do something else, you know, that sort of thing. But anyway, the, the, the point of all of this is that there has been this link to, to brain activity and, and ability to empathize. Um, so, so perhaps there is something, perhaps there is some sort of way to, if it's been switched off somehow, uh, to switch it back on, or if it's diminished by trauma or whatever it is to heal that part of the brain again. There, there could be hope for that. Um, and I would hope that in an empathetic and, and caring society, we would want to do that sort of thing for these people. It kind of makes me wonder if this is something that can actually be learned via neuroplasticity, where you practice correcting negative trains of thought. Like this, this is something that I've looked into for years for my own ability to deal with PTSD. But I wonder if it could be applied here too of if if they're having, you know, those thoughts of like getting distracted while somebody is trying to tell them, you know, about something fucked up that happened that day or whatnot and they can't empathize to stop for a minute and go, wait, I need to put myself in this person's shoes to remind oneself that that active train of thought of redirecting your thoughts where you know they need to go can literally build new neural pathways in the brain this has already been proven with brain scans mm -hmm. i wonder if that could be applied here 
yeah, I, I think there's probably the greatest hope in, in that sort of thing, in that sort of a path. Um, okay, Something. I think I found it, so I'll, I will link that episode. I think it's an episode of Hidden Brain on NPR, so I'll link that in the comments here, and you guys can all check that out as well. If you want to put it in the private chat here in Restream, I'll also put it on our... Um... Oh, sure. And yes, John, you are absolutely correct. Some are taught the behavior through their family. That's the thing. It's often a generational thing. And it gets normalized like that. And it's not normal. But these toxic circumstances that people are growing up in being abused tend to lead. Now, this is also statistical fact. It leads to them growing up to be those same types of predators that preyed on them as children. There is a fucking link. Most people who are pedophiles were also molested when they were kids. Yep. Yeah, that that that, that definitely is something that can uh, basically destroy that part of the, the brain as well. And that ability to empathize is, is uh -huh. severe trauma. Yeah. Mako said some are war veterans. Nice to see you again, Mako. We, we've brought up last night's stream several times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> glad, to, glad to see you in the comments. Um, anyway, uh, are we ready to get back to the text? Sure. <laughs> I mean, that. no, I, I didn't want to interrupt too early because you're right. That conversation needs to needs to happen. Well, but hey, how know. about bef before you hit play then, let's ask Mako, since you're here, how do you view this? At, where would you address this? Um, this is kind of, you know, delving a little deeper into what we were discussing last night of addressing criminals within the community once we are in a communist situation. And um, we were discussing the heinous crimes of pedophilia and rape and murder here and i don't know if this was before you hopped in but rob had said i wonder what mccoe would say about this how would you deal with those types of criminals in the community in that situation because this is an ethical slippery slope that we're sliding all over the fucking place on <laughs> you know accurate it's not acceptable to allow a threat to children to continue to have Absolutely. access to children in the community. Um, it, it, it's a point of being torn of, do, do we try to say address those issues on that brain chemistry level? Do we try therapy? Do we go for death penalty? What do we do here? Fair enough. Um, Good question. They all have valid ground. Next time that we pause, um, let's see what he says. Okay, sounds good. Democracy means equality. The great significance of the proletariat's struggle for equality and of equality as a slogan will be clear if we correctly interpret it as meaning the abolition of classes. He already responded. Exile termination war club mm -hmm. well yeah 
exile for yeah. the ones that can be termination for those that have proven themselves un unable to stop causing harm yeah, yeah. see i mean that that's what i was wondering too like and i mean obviously that that answers the question you know like what do you do for serious crimes like that and I mean, I kind of figured that the termination would would have to be an option. Um, yeah, but I mean, there's some cases where they literally don't leave you any other fucking choice. When people right. are serial pedophiles who have harmed countless kids for decades, that's heinous. Yeah, that's heinous. You know, looking at the Catholic priests here. Right. Natalie said, my daughter works with adolescents with sexual deviance behaviors and much does appear to be learned behaviors, though could not a significant part be from inheritance of genetics also? That's a big question. I don't have the answer to that question either. <laughs> uh, John said, each is a case by a case decision. Wade said... It is reasonable to be angry and to have thoughts of violence, but it is worth consideration through the lens of empathy, not just for them, but to help heal the traumas of the world before going to such measures. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Back to the text. Oh, um, one but more thing. Sorry. Means only formal <laughs> oh equality. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just one little thing. Could you, could you turn on the closed captioning just for those who, who might be uh, wanting to follow along and don't have the book in front of them? Um, I thought that it automatically did it. No. I'm, I'm not seeing it coming up. I don't know how, how it's uh, being viewed by other people, but just on, just on, like, on the YouTube video, if you just click on the CC there, should should pop right up. Oh, you mean for that? Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you. All right. As soon as equality is achieved for all members of society in relation to ownership of the means of production, that is, equality of labor and wages, humanity will inevitably be confronted with the question of advancing further from formal equality to actual equality i.e. to the operation of the rule, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs. By what stages, by means of what practical measures, humanity will proceed to this supreme aim we do not and cannot know. But it is important to realize how infinitely mendacious is the ordinary bourgeois conception of socialism as something lifeless, rigid, fixed once and for all, whereas in reality only socialism will be the beginning of a rapid, genuine, truly mass-forward movement, embracing first the majority and then the whole of the population in all spheres of public and private life. Comment. I really like that passage. I think that it really captures the potential of moving beyond capitalism to really explode into an age of technology and sociological rearrangement that we just can barely begin to fathom right now. Continuing, democracy is of enormous importance to the working class in its struggle against the capitalists for its emancipation. But democracy is by no means a boundary not to be overstepped. It is only one of the stages on the road from feudalism to capitalism, and 
from capitalism to communism. Democracy is a form of the state. It represents, on the one hand, the organized, systematic use of force against persons. But on the other hand, it signifies the formal recognition of equality of citizens, the equal right of all to determine the structure of and to administer the state. This in turn results in the fact that, at a certain stage in the development of democracy, it first welds together the class that wages a revolutionary struggle against capitalism, the proletariat, and enables it to crush, smash to atoms, wipe off the face of the earth, the bourgeois, even the republican bourgeois, state machine, the standing army, the police, and the bureaucracy, and to substitute for them a more democratic state machine, but a state machine nevertheless, in the shape of armed workers who proceed to form a militia involving the entire population. Here, quantity turns into quality. Such a degree of democracy implies overstepping the boundaries of bourgeois society and beginning its socialist reorganization. If really all take part in the administration of the state, capitalism cannot retain its hold. The development of capitalism, in turn, creates the preconditions that enable really all to take part in the administration of the state. Some of these preconditions are universal literacy, which has already been achieved in a number of the most advanced capitalist countries, then the training and disciplining of millions of workers by the huge, complex, socialized apparatus of the postal service, railways, big factories, large-scale commerce, banking, etc., etc. Quick comment. My strong suspicion is that a lot of the more reactionary elements in the United States know this, have studied this, and are deliberately just trying to keep people from reaching that stage of development by any means necessary, even if it means retarding <coughs> their own system. Continuing. I think you're, I think you're muted, Rob. I forgot that I muted myself. That uh -huh. is, uh, there's a liner note. That is, capitalism has created huge networks of economic cooperation via national and international corporations and public industries and services. The problem is that these entities are privately owned and controlled. Back to the text. Given these economic preconditions, it is quite possible after the overthrow of the capitalists and the bureaucrats, to proceed immediately, overnight, to replace them in the control over production and distribution, in the work of keeping account of labor and products, by the armed workers, by the whole of the armed population. The question of control and accounting should not be confused with the question of the scientifically trained staff of engineers, agronomists, and so on. These gentlemen are working today in obedience to the wishes of the capitalists, and will work even better tomorrow in obedience to the wishes of the armed workers. Accounting and control, that is mainly what is needed for the smooth working, for the proper functioning of the first phase of communist society. All citizens are transformed into hired employees of the state, which consists of the armed workers. All citizens become employees and workers of a single countrywide state syndicate. All that is required is that they should work equally, do their proper share of work, and get equal pay. The accounting and control necessary for this have been simplified by capitalism to the utmost and reduced to the extraordinarily simple operations which any person can perform of supervising and recording 
knowledge of the four rules of arithmetic and issuing appropriate receipts. There is a, another liner note. Lennon notes, quote, when the more important functions of the state are reduced to such accounting and control by the workers themselves, it will cease to be a political state and public functions lose their political character and become mere administrative functions. See chapter four, section two, with respect to Engel's controversy with the anarchists. That's all. Okay. When the majority of the people begin independently and everywhere to keep such accounts and exercise such control over the capitalists, now converted into employees, and over the intellectual gentry who preserve their capitalist habits, this control will really become universal, general, and popular, and there will be no getting away from it. There will be nowhere to go. The whole of society will have become a single office and a single factory with equality of labor and pay. But this factory discipline, which the proletariat, after defeating the capitalists, after overthrowing the exploiters, will extend to the whole of society, is by no means our ideal or our ultimate goal. It is only a necessary step for thoroughly cleansing society of all the infamies and abominations of capitalist exploitation and for further progress. From the moment all members of society, or at least the vast majority, have learned to administer the state themselves, have taken this work into their own hands, have organized control over the insignificant capitalist minority, over the gentry who wish to preserve their capitalist habits, and over the workers who have been thoroughly corrupted by capitalism. From this moment, the need for government of any kind begins to disappear altogether. The more complete the democracy, the nearer the moment when it becomes unnecessary. The more democratic the state, which consists of the armed workers, and which is, quote, no longer a state in the proper sense of the word, the more rapidly every form of state begins to wither away. For when all have learned to administer and actually to independently administer social production, independently keep accounts and exercise control over the parasites, the sons of the wealthy, the swindlers and other guardians of capitalist traditions, the escape from this popular accounting and control will inevitably become so incredibly difficult, such a rare exception, and will probably be accompanied by such swift and severe punishment. For the armed workers are practical men and not sentimental intellectuals, and they scarcely allow anyone to trifle with them. That the necessity of observing the simple fundamental rules of the community will very soon become a habit. Then the door will be thrown wide open for the transition from the first phase of communist society to its higher phase, and with it to the complete withering away of the state. And that's the end of chapter 5, now beginning chapter 6. That is the end of chapter five. Very cool. We made it, you guys. We made it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really... Which means that next week is probably going to be the last... Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, next yeah. week is probably going to be the last episode of the series. Just uh, 14... 14 pages in my books. Yeah, not that much left. Yeah. Very cool. I, I'm still really enjoying this text a lot. I've, I've learned so much. 
and he's he's really good in the way that he just so meticulously lays everything out and he's like oh and if you if you misconstrue uh, what i'm saying here let me give you some more examples so that you understand exactly what i'm talking about he's like he's in anticipating people taking him out of context and and not reading him in good faith and all this and just making mistakes and he's he's trying to address it before it uh before it even happens so it's unfortunate that that more critics of, of communism don't at least read this book so they can understand what it is they're, they're criticizing. Yeah. I mean, even, even in leftist circles, there's a lot of really bad takes about communism. Yep. Um, but, and just to like put it in perspective, this was supposed to be a pamphlet. <laughs> That's what the hell did that mean? Just imagine someone just shoving that water paper in your hand and... <laughs> Uh. Yeah, no, it's it's I feel like things being very clear and nice of carrying points um throughout various circumstances of here's how it would apply there because you do really specific to gain a full understanding because otherwise it's wide open to some interpretation that aren't so hot. And that's been utilized by Red Scare propaganda to try yep. to shit all over communism for so fucking long. And it's like, wait, wait, you misunderstood that. This is what that really <laughs> means. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Conversations that I have with people who are, are unfamiliar with what communism really is. Like, wait, whoa, that's misinterpreted. Let's fix that. You just want the state to do everything for you? Yeah. Or, or you just want me to work hard so that someone else can live for free and like... Yeah, all, all these right, really and it's like no, that's that's not how anything now. works. <laughs> no, like there shouldn't. And John said, uh, "Read Das Kapital. This is a plan. <laughs> this is a <laughs> That's a great. Yeah, you yes. right. <laughs> yeah, eventually, I do want to go through all, or at least the first. What is it? Two or three that are really important volumes of, of Das Kapital. Got to get to yeah. it sometime, I suppose. <laughs> That's going to be, that, that's, that's meticulous. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although, um, after all that, that uh, Lenin has been quoting Marx in uh, Critique of the Gotha Program, Marx's book, uh, Critique of the Gotha Program, uh, it, it seems like that might be a good one to choose. Uh, at least, I like to go, I like to alternate between uh, communist and, and uh, anarchist literature. So, I think that... Uh, Perhaps when we get back to communism again, that might be a good one to, to dive into as well. Hell yeah. Indeed. John said one if no other, but two and three are great. Cool. Good I have never read two or three, and I don't think that I actually made it through the first one, but that's right. a lot I've of read books. <laughs> I've I've listened to you know a significant amount of the audio book of number one, but I've I've not made it through it, let alone to two or three. I'll be mm -hmm. honest, but it's another moment of we're learning this shit together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean, if you do come back to when you get back to communism, if you do get to fucking capital, mm -hmm. I'm down. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, just, just I'll say in general, you know, I really enjoy doing this with you guys. I think it really adds a lot to 
uh, the analysis and just having more people commenting on it and, you know, just having other people to bounce ideas off and stuff when I, when I don't really get a concept or whatever. So I'd be absolutely happy to just continue on this, this Wednesday book club, just, you know, for the foreseeable future and just keep on choosing more stuff to, to do. So. Right. And yeah, honestly, if you want to keep throwing down with us for <laughs> all the books we go through for the Rev Left Book Club, by yeah. all means, bro, because same, you know? Yeah. Um, I like the perspective that you bring. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Wade pointed out something about it all is that it is very verbose and unapproachable for the masses. And mm -hmm. that, that's part of what we want to do, yeah. I, I would presume, in trying to deconstruct something as massive as capital, is yeah. to make it more approachable. Right. Because <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> right. I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of pauses for the cause. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You're cutting out really bad. But I, I know that when we were reading the Communist Manifesto, like, you know, we would stop and Google phrases. Yeah. You know, like, I, I mean, if you don't know what it means, you don't know what it means, right? Yeah, yeah, no shame in that. No, no one can know every word and concept, especially stuff that's written, like, with the Communist Manifesto. That's over 150 years ago. So, yeah. Right. And I mean, it's been translated so many times. Oh, that too. Yeah, none of this is in the original language that that we've been reading either. So yeah, no shame in that. Um, but yeah. S and time era is contexty. <laughs> I'm not sure what this means either. I'm sorry, John. Can you <laughs> can you tell us what this means? <laughs> yes. S and error. Oh, okay. Um, that being said, uh, we yesterday. I'm gonna plug it for the third time tonight. We yesterday had a. I don't even know that I want to call it an interview or a guest. Like I said, I felt like I was the guest in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, but yesterday we had a, a phenomenal episode. Um, I'm still not quite sure. Time, time is context era. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's very cryptic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're trying to send me a coded message, bro. Yeah, really. Uh, and Trisha's back, I think. I just heard the noise. She's not back. She is back. Okay. Anyway, we had a fantastic guest uh, named Mako from um, Elahi Spirit Runners. Uh, he had a lot of insight into conservation, um, elaborating on what he means when he says what happens to the wolf happens to mankind. Um, please check it out. Listen to what he had to say. That's really mm -hmm. all I have to say about it. Um, I know and I tomorrow will. we will have for the first time in weeks, a new soul on ice piece. Um, we recorded that before the stream today. That'll be at the usual time, eight Eastern. 
Um, other than that, uh, see you next Tuesday. That's not what I meant, Zach. <laughs> okay, okay, we got it, we got it. We got the decoding just in. The era and time are context. Ah, okay. Well, that makes that makes a lot more sense. Barefoot ice skating. What? <laughs> um, and for those of you that missed it at the beginning, I am gonna jump into for our outro uh, where I paused it for this dope metal version of the International. Oh, uh, could I could I just plug one more thing yeah. before uh, yeah. you get to that? Um, would you mind bringing the, the chat up on the screen too? I don't think it's up on, there we go. Just so I, so I make sure that people see it. Uh, so, so in uh, the, the group that I run on Facebook, Left Signal Boost, as well as uh, Left Pod Posting and uh, Rob and Trish's group um, for We Are Many Education uh, and Discussion Group, we are, we are collaborating to have the second annual Lefties Awards, which is, is just, you know, it's kind of a fun thing. Um, instead of a, a award show uh, for the bourgeoisie, run by the bourgeoisie, voted on by the bourgeoisie, this is this is all for the people, and it's all about uh, leftist content. So we have the nomination process open right now. Uh, if you go to either either of those groups that I mentioned, as well as uh, my my personal page, if you don't feel like joining any of the groups on Facebook, you can go to Bread Theory on on Facebook, as well as Left Signal Boost TV on Facebook, and you can uh, nominate your favorite leftists in, oh, there must be at least two dozen categories that we have right now. So I'm going to put a link in uh, for that right up uh, right now, and I encourage you all to go check that out, because it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going we're gonna to have a, a co-stream, just like we're doing right now. Uh, it's going to be the day after U.S. Thanksgiving, so if you're bored of your, your in-laws or you want to get away for a minute... Uh, that'll be your opportunity to check out some leftist content together. And and really the point is just to, to showcase uh, leftist creators and their work of, of all different platforms, genres, media, type, uh, all that sort of thing. Um, because uh, the way it's going to work is right now the nomination process is open. Everyone that gets nominated is, is going to be able to be uh, eligible for being voted on. But also, everyone that's nominated is going to get a little clip during the award show to showcase their work. So all you have to do to showcase the work of even the, the, the smallest, least known leftist, no matter how many votes they get, is to go ahead and go nominate them for uh, an award for this year. Um, and then uh, we're going to start the voting in November and uh, have the, the and, that, and that's going to be open to absolutely everybody. And then we're going to have the award show. Uh, on, uh, oh, I should have the, the date in my mind already, I'm sorry, uh, but it's going to be, <laughs> let me go, it's going to be uh, November 26th, Friday, November 26th will be the, the night of the show, so it should be a lot of fun, I look forward to it, Rob's going to be a, a, a co-host, hopefully Trisha will as well, um, as well as some other people from uh, Left Signal Boost and myself, so it'll be pretty cool, yeah, I just want to throw that out there before we, we went. Um, Seize the Minis asked about uh, this book. That would be, be a good one to cover, too. Yeah, I have not read it in its entirety. 
Um, but I'm down. Yeah, I, w I would love to do that for sure. Very cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, I guess since the fire department is leaving, I will meet <laughs> myself and sure. uh, <laughs> play and this. Um, sorry, sorry. One, I'm sorry. One last thing for those of you who are, I'm sorry. I keep I keep doing this to you. I, I really apologize for those of you in my Twitch community. Uh, we are going to raid into another channel. Um, I'm just going to pick it myself this time and uh, hope you enjoy who we're going to go look at next. So that, that's it. I, I swear that's the last thing. <laughs>